0: This morning's passage is found in Matthew 25, verses 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them are foolish, and five are wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. And they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Fun, uh, fun parable, huh? You know, there are a couple different kinds of parables. Some of them are pretty straightforward, transcend time and space, Uh, at any point in time, the story of a son claiming his inheritance early, leaving, squandering his wealth, coming home, being welcomed home, that story is going to always resonate, somebody beaten at the side of the road, nobody to help him. But then there's other stories that aren't so straightforward, that require some, some pondering, and they... You know, all of Jesus' parables, they took the most common, ordinary uh, things in our lives, things that feel familiar, but then they take an unexpected twist at times. Um, I just, Jesus wants to be understood. Jesus wants to communicate. He wants us to understand. But sometimes, the ideas, the concepts, the, they, they just, they can't be told from a lector. Lecture. Lecture. A lecture. Hannibal Lecture. Um, They can't just be told as like bullet points. This is what it means. This is straightforward. You know, sometimes Jesus does explain his parables. He'll say like this is, you know, seeds are scattered and some fall in this kind of soil. And later his disciples are like, "Uh, what was that all about? Like, what was that story about? And then he goes through piece by piece and explains it. Other times Jesus comes and, and people come to Jesus and say, we don't understand. What does that mean? And he says, well, you need ears to hear and, and eyes to see. Um, you know, sometimes parables are like art. You know, sometimes it's a pretty straightforward picture of a woman with eyes that seem to follow you all over the Louvre, wherever you're standing, like she's still looking at you. Or, uh, you know, some are like more, less straightforward, you know, swirling sky full of stars against a backdrop with a church in the middle. That there's something. Surreal about it. This is one of those passages where it's hard to know what is exactly Jesus' point here. And when I read the commentaries in preparation, and, you know, I, I put this on there. There's something in this passage that struck me, and then I hit the commentaries, and they're like, "Yeah, we don't know what this means. There's no consensus. You know, the oil might mean good works. The oil might mean the Holy Spirit, works of righteousness. We don't know. Uh, we just know for certain that this is a, this is a parable about." waiting. How to wait. How to wait well. Why it's important to wait. It ends with a very firm warning about waiting in a particular kind of way. This is the end of the book of Matthew. Jesus, that Matthew's account of Jesus's life is drawing to a close. This is Matthew 25. Matthew 26, 27, 28 are the passion narrative and resurrection stories. So this is The end, the backdrop of the story, is Jesus is going to go away longer than anyone would have thought or guessed. Um, By my count, 2,000 years and, and still counting. The disciples are told, one day I will return in the same way I left. So wait, abide, wait for my return. He knows that it is important for the disciples to learn the skill of waiting if they are to fulfill his vision for their lives. Learning how to wait. Uh, the first three words, at that time. That's how the, per- the message, this passage began. At that time, which should make you say, at what time? Well, if you read Matthew 24, fun little chapter, the uh, It's sometimes called the mini-apocalypse of Matthew. It tells the story of the destruction of of Jerusalem that would come uh, some 40 years later. And those who were waiting for that moment were prepared for it. Uh, It's the story of Jesus transitioning to his return. His first coming was Christmas morning. This is the time in between uh, his ascension and when he returns, the gap that we now live in. So he tells a couple stories about waiting, and one of them is the story of, I'm just going to say ten young ladies, um, instead of ten virgins. Ten young ladies. Uh, Ten ladies waiting for the groom to arrive, and he's off, and they're told, go, prepare, wait for the groom. So five of these young ladies think, there is an indeterminate amount of time before the groom comes. I, just to be safe, I'm going to grab some oil so that if he comes at night, I, I'll be ready. The other five are like, don't even think about that. They, they don't worry about that at all. And then all ten fall asleep. The sound comes out, prepare the way for the groom. And five say, it's night. They light their, their wicks, they're ready. The other five are in a panic. They go, can you give us some oil? No, it don't have enough oil for both of us. Sorry. Go buy some. And they're like, it's night. Where are we going to go buy oil? But they try. They, maybe they, they knock on some doors uh, and they find themselves when they return without oil. The door's locked, the lights are off, and they've been locked out. So this hope of a new life, this day they've been looking forward to their whole life, ends as a nightmare. Locked out. Now, this comes at a time when Israel had been waiting for their Messiah, that they'd anticipated generation after generation, living faithfully, waiting for the Messiah to come. Now the Messiah is there, and he says often, while he's there, uh, some of you don't have eyes to see what's happening or ears to hear, that, that many missed Jesus the first time. And he's saying, so shall it be the second time, that when I do return, that there are those who think they're ready, but they're not. And there are others who diligently wait. Wait and be ready. How are you at waiting? If you were to give yourself a grade, I am blank at waiting. What, what adjective would you put in there? I am. I struggle to wait. Waiting is hard. It's a challenge. Think about when did you wait this week? Uh, traffic, doctor, I almost had to go to the DMV. That would have been a lot of waiting uh, for the, the DMV in there. Um, There are different postures we can hold while we're waiting. You know, if you think about uh, at Costco, I was waiting. It's kind of on me. I I went to Costco thinking I'll just go get some gas. I don't need to go inside uh, on December twenty-second. That, and it's one of those moments where I'm I'm stuck now. Even if I wanted to leave, I would have had to abandon my vehicle, like in a zombie apocalypse movie. Just like you know what. I tried, but I couldn't stay here any longer. Um, what, what happens? What skills are involved in waiting? What, if, you, if you were told you're good at waiting, what does that mean to you? What, what skills, what is the activity? If, if waiting looks like a still calm water, what's happening below the surface that allows one to wait, to wait patiently? Um, there are different postures we, we can hold when we wait. We can wait patiently. We can wait impatiently. We can wait with fear, anxiety, and worry, or we can wait at peace. We can forget we're waiting altogether and just move on with our lives as if whatever we were waiting for didn't happen. So we're just going to move on. I went ahead and used the uh, research tool I found called Google, and I Googled what is the opposite of waiting. And the words that came up were rushing, hurrying, urgency, and I thought, how often this week have I rushed and hurried and felt a sense of urgency over something. That all laid bare to me, John, you are not very good at waiting. You need, you must learn how to wait. Waiting sometimes can be limiting. If you're waiting for a plumber, you can't leave. If you leave, And he says, I'll be there in the hours of uh, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., which always seems like the window is like, man, dude. But I guess if you're a plumber, you're like, yeah, do you want to know why I was delayed? And I would say, sir, I do not. Um, So if there is a, if you're waiting for that plumber, that can limit possibilities. I don't, I can't go run errands. I can't go see a movie. I have to be attentive and ready to the door. There's other things I can do at home, but I'm bound to my home. But, in being bound in waiting, other possibilities open up and emerge. Possibilities like, I don't know, flushing your toilet, that there is your waiting, there is a goal, there's an aim to waiting, and that's a plumber to come and to rescue you, fix you, whatever the problem that we have. So in waiting, there has to be a goal. Waiting for what? What am I waiting for? And that goal will form and shape your posture as you wait. Now. One of the markers of modern life, maybe even the marker of modern life, is busyness. If I were to ask you, how was your Christmas? How many of you, the first word that would come to mind is, it was busy. And busy almost in a way of like, that's not what I intended to do for Christmas. I didn't mean for it to be this busy. It just was. There's a powerlessness, there's, there's almost a melancholy to how fast the season goes and thinking, I didn't wait well. I didn't wait patiently this Christmas, and yet again, it escaped us. Busy motion are the markers of the modern life. One of my favorite authors that I've read, I think I've read six of his books in the last two years. His name's Andrew Root, and he wrote a book called The Congregation in a secular age? How do we, how are we a church in a secular age? And so he's unpacking some of the forces and things that it prohibit churches from flourishing, growing, and, and some cultural forces that come in, and, and often unseen. It's like a carbon monoxide. You don't, you don't smell it, you don't even know it's there, you're just breathing a toxic air. And he says one of the markers of that, that churches could get, get called into, is constant motion and innovation. I was unable to find a top, so you have to use your imagination. So, uh, you're good. I, I know most of you are have rich, good imagination. So imagine me spinning a top. Imagine it spinning, it's doing this little dance, it's doing maybe a figure eight on there, or maybe just a circle. And then at what point does the top become unstable? It's when the spinning slows down to the point that it starts to wobble and it eventually falls over. He says that's modern life. It only is stable when there's constant motion. Another book I read, it's called Hail Mary, Andy Weir. He's the one who wrote The Martian. Uh, he's, He's kind of a science guy that writes fiction. He's like John Grisham, except for Grisham was a lawyer writing legal fiction. Anyway, he tells a story, I'm not gonna go into the story at all, other than to say it involves space, high-speed space travel uh, of a a ship that's going across the galaxy. And as it accelerates, the people inside the ship experience gravity. Because in the same way that if you're in a car that's accelerating, you feel pressed against the back of the seat, the motion of the spaceship creates gravity and stability. But when the ship stops accelerating, you lose gravity and you just start to float. These are two images about life in the modern world, images of stability through spinning, of gravity through a constant acceleration and motion, and that's—it's not that the spaceship stops; that it just stops accelerating. It's the constant need for pushing and moving forward provide a stability for life in the, in the modern world. Constant spinning, constant motion, and he writes about how so much of life feels like. The feeling you have when you run on a treadmill, um, for those of you who do things like that. That when you spend a lot of time where you're expending a lot of energy, a lot of motion, that's kind of the point of that. But then you get off the treadmill and you are exactly where you started. And so much of life feels like constant motion, constant energy, constant movement. But then you don't really go anywhere or move anywhere. And the haunting existential question is, what's this all for? Why is that? And so he writes into that crisis, Root does, about churches. And here's the quote from him. Again, his words, not mine. Inevitably, the busiest congregations will seem to be doing the best, drawing busy people who are willing to carve out time from their busy lives for church. It seems odd that busy congregations would draw busy people. Why is that, do you think? Take a moment and answer that question yourself. Um, I'd come around and ask each of you, but it's kind of awkward to share the mic. So I'll just let you ponder that for a moment. Why is it that you think busy, burned out, tired people are drawn to churches that are built on motion, innovation, energy, and busyness? Why do they why do we why are we drawn to spaces that Feel like instead of challenging us to slow down, to abide, and to be present to one another and present to the living God, instead we're kept numb by motion. What he says, you may not like it, but this is his analysis. Uh, Root thinks that it's because we are so formed and shaped to value speed, innovation, and growth. Churches that embody those principles feel like home. They feel like they match our model for success. Uh, They intuitively understand that the scripture must be used to give you helpful advice on how to manage the busyness of lives. Instead of saying, hey, let's stop. Let's get off the treadmill. Let's be present to one another and present to God. In short, let's wait together. Let's learn what it means to wait. Um, One of the other things he talks about is the idea that more and more people are drawn to podcasts and online services because. They meet my busy schedule. I can get what I need from a church on my commute Monday morning going to work. Rather than recognizing that church is not a content delivery service. It's an embodied community that are present to each other and present to the living God. He writes our problem. What we say is, I'm too busy. But what we mean is, I'm too numb and disconnected from my own lives. And I don't know how to get off the treadmill. So this is where i'm going to end this is a series on learning to wait that will take us uh, all the way to uh, lent which is february 18th is when that begins so this will take us about six weeks to sit and think through what does it mean for us to wait as a church what does it mean for us as individuals to wait on god rather than start running and and hope he catches up to us Um, so this is where i'm going to end I want to give you a picture of what waiting looks like. There's a documentary, um, my wife said uh, I was at a basketball game with the boys, it was great. And she texted, I just watched American Symphony, and I thought she meant maestro. And I was like, cool, that, that movie feels like homework to me, so I'm glad you liked it. And I'm glad you watched about out that and she's like, no, it's not that. It's a, it's a documentary about John Batiste, uh, a singer song. He, he was nominated for Best Pop, Best R&B. And best modern classical arrangement. So you think who could transcend all those genres? The answer to that question: John Batiste. And it tells the story of him at the peak of his career, winning Grammys and being given an opportunity at Carnegie Hall to perform a unique symphony that embodies the, uh, his melody with all these different themes from from different uh, musical traditions and, and ethnic. Uh, he's he's. Building, he says, I want to represent the whole world in music, which is ambitious, to say the least. At the same time, his wife, which you'll see at the very end of this clip, their, their wedding ceremony, um, has been had a cancer return, and she's having to get a, a second um, transplant, uh, bone marrow transplant. So it tells the story of, of career, success, achievement, alongside love, and what love looks like, what love actually looks like. Um, while also creating this thing. It's beautiful, it's on Netflix. People always say, oh, it's free on Netflix? It's like, do you get Netflix for free, or is it not free on Mexico? Everything that's on Netflix, it feels like a gift. It's like, no, that's what we pay for. Anyway, American Symphony, I'm going to show you this short clip, and this is a moment of creation. This is is one of my favorite things to watch, is the creation of something new, (laughs) the creation of a piece of art, the creation of music. And I want you to watch and ask, does this look more like waiting, or more like working? Does it look more like actively creating something, or is this receiving something almost from some other place? Uh, and then let's think about what that means as we close today, um, to learn how to wait together. So this is from American Symphony. So there's, these are just the skeletons of each section. So theme baseline. Is... So with the symphony, there's an aspect of optimism to it. Yep. There's, it, it's a it's um. Sunrise Mm -hmm. and then the other thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get, yeah, (laughs) come into the space. familiar at home (laughs) when it feels like something but it's not something yeah (laughs) that's when you know it's good yeah it feels Ah! like you've heard it before right but it's actually new (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's the best oh So these are just the skeletons of each section. So theme, baseline. Is- mm-hmm. So with the symphony, there's an aspect. Of- so that, to me, embodies waiting, receiving, two people together, and I, just his face as he's what is he doing? Channeling something there? Uh, discovering something? Hearing it for the first time, even though it's his original piece of art. You know, Jesus tells a story of people who are waiting in a way that was active. That's why I love that clip. He's waiting. He's receiving. He's not busy running. In fact, that doesn't happen to somebody who doesn't create space to wait, watch, listen, to be in community, to be present to what's happening, of listening to a melody and saying, what is that? And what better way to articulate the gospel than that's something new, that feels so familiar. May we learn to listen to God's melody, to wait to receive, which is why we ought to go to the table now, because that is where we go to receive communion. We don't take communion. We receive it from God himself. So come to the table. Receive what you did not make, the gift of salvation. And as you return to your seats, You know what? Let's just sit and be present. Father, as we come to the table this morning, we thank you for Jesus, that he came to us. And just as he came Christmas morning 2,000 years ago, thank you that he will return again to us to make all things right. And as we wait for him to return, may we learn to wait well.